0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Asian Unfiltered from a different
1: lens. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Asian Unfiltered. But before I start the show, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Bet Online. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is actually where you can find everything from NBA, hockey, the UFC, NFL. All things sports. All the matchups, all the prop bets, you can find it there on Bet Online. Betonline has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Just visit the website today or use your mobile device and join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Before the next tip off, face-off, or pitch, go over to Bet Online and start playing today. Betonline, your online sports book experts. Up next is my interview with Esteban Oriol. Esteban was kind enough to do this interview while he was doing his errands in his vehicle and while he was out in public. So it took almost a full two hours comprising of life talk and stopping and going due to the nature of him being in the middle of his business while I was talking and interviewing him. We also talk about clothing collaborations during the pandemic, the hectic video editing process by going to Argentina, you know, work relationships and life of a freelancer. So there's so much more to this interview, and I hope you guys enjoy this part two featuring Esteban Oriol.
0: Hold well, on, I'm just buying some t-shirts here, okay?
1: I'll, I'll do your thing, man. No worries. I gotta keep the hustle going, you know? Oh, for sure. Which but I
0: can't shoot no photos because of the virus, so... Um, I went full full scale into my uh, merch thing.
1: Oh, is this the collaboration with Cookies?
0: Uh, no, uh, that one's done already. I did a collaboration with Cookies and another one with uh with Born and Raised.
1: Oh, okay. Congrats on that, bro.
0: And those uh went, you know, those sold out. So now I'm uh I just did one with a, with uh a, Are you familiar with Cholo Fit Creeper?
1: No, I'm not.
0: If you ever get a chance, check him out on uh, IG or YouTube. He's uh, a Mexican comedian, and he uh, and uh, he does like a, like a comedy skit of like a '90s style cholo doing uh, fitness
1: training. Oh, I think I've seen some of his videos on Facebook where yeah, yeah, he'll he do the white Facebook. bandana
0: and like the Janet Jackson head. Right
1: now, I know who you're talking about.
0: Yeah, so I did a collab with him. We dropped it yesterday, and it's been blowing through the roof.
1: Oh, that's good that you're getting that support because right now, not a lot of people are willing to purchase stuff with this pandemic, trying to save their 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 chips. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are. A lot of people are. Um, I guess they're bored and they don't know what to to do with their um, you know their stimulus money. So they're they want to look good for their Zoom videos.
1: They they're all they're all using their minority money to pick some yeah, I didn't stuff get up. None of
0: that shit.
1: Well, that's probably cause you uh you're in a different tax bracket, bro.
0: Yeah, I didn't get no uh no free money. Well it's not free, I paid for it in my taxes, like you said. And then um, I didn't get no uh small business loan, nothing. I didn't get none of that shit. But not, I I'm forced to not work because my, my work consists of working with people. So if you can't work with people, then you can't make no money. So I don't know how they figure uh, I'm out gonna, I'm gonna, how I'm going to do it, you know. Luckily, these T-shirt things came through or I would have been asked out.
1: Do you think ever since the doc, it's harder for you to trust who to cook, who to collab with? Because now they can go, oh, now I know this guy. Let me strike opportunity. Or is it? easier for you
0: i mean it's better for me because that was like a big commercial you know of, of who i am so it, it works a lot in my favor that you know it's kind of like a, a one hour an hour and a half commercial of, of me and then they get to see uh, all the shit i do and they're like Oh maybe I can't get a photo shoot of him, but I can get a t shirt, you know? It's kinda like like uh with music groups, you know, you might not be able to go see Jay Z at the Madison Square Garden because the tickets are like eight hundred bucks, but you can get the t shirt or the uh, or the C D.
1: Yeah, so it's like a souvenir aspect almost to where like, oh at least I got this. Yeah. To be involved. Exactly. So you wore a lot of hats when you were like a tour manager. How did you Get to balance being like a bodyguard, a photographer, a videographer. It, what was what was your first like? Okay, the first thing I need to attend to is
0: tour managing because that was that was where I was getting money. I wasn't getting money from taking pictures or or videoing, so it was like, you know, I got to take care of my money first, and then, you know, when I had extra time, then I would do everything else. Like when the guys were on stage, I would take pictures of them. Or when we were backstage kicking it, we had all the press taken care of, all the stage was set up, all that was every all my work was done. Then I'd go take pictures and film, or we'd go work out or go eat. So it was always about you know, I was there to do my job, so do my job first, and then everything else came after.
1: So after taking photos, when did you decide? You know what? I got I got to videotape all this shit. Uh, around 1997.
0: I was videotaping kind of here and there. And uh, a friend of mine, that he was trying to do a documentary on our lowrider club. He eventually got in the lowrider club and he was from England. But we were like, hey man, you can't be fucking just hanging out all the time and taking pictures and filming all our shit all the time. And, and we need, You need to buy a lowrider, you know? So he ended up getting one. And, um, and he ended up joining our car club. And then, uh, he was like, I'm going to give you this, uh, eight millimeter camera and you should film stuff that you're, you're, uh, shooting, you know, you're taking pictures of. And I was like, yeah, all right. Whatever. So I, I got that camera and started like just shooting with it. And then, uh, before you know it, I, I When I saw what, how it came out and it looked just like my film, I was like, oh, this is dope. So I went from that to a 16-millimeter Bolex camera, and I would just roll around with those, those two and then my, my still cameras and just have a great, great-ass time.
1: Did, did you ever have to go through a phase where, let's say, photography suffered a little bit? Because you prioritize videography or... Whatever
0: whatever, whatever type of work was coming in, the, obviously the other one would suffer. Like if it was a photo job, I couldn't really do too much filming or video. And if it was a, um, a video job, you know, I would have to focus on that and not so much the photos.
1: Did it come to a point where you're like, you know, I got to hire someone to film me with a video camera while I'm shooting?
0: No, I just had friends that rolled around and they'd go, hey, I would always... Like, whoever I would take to assist me, they would they would be, like, taking pictures with my camera. Like, like I would have two different cameras, and they would, like, take pictures with this one while I'm shooting with the other one. I'm like, hey, don't do all that, because you're, like, when I have to go to show the f- record label photos of me shooting, like, like, a group, and then there's three shots of me taking pictures, it looks weird, you know? So, I would just say, hey, just film me better, you know? That way... I'm doing a photo job. and they, They're never going to see this anyways. So they're like, oh, I'm just trying to get some behind the scenes shit. You know, this before there was an even such thing as behind the scenes because that, that kind of came later. Like now every – now people see the behind the scenes and they might never see the shoot because they're like, oh, I already saw that happen. Like I try not to post behind the scenes stuff too much before – I post a photo shoot because people see the pho- behind-the-scenes shoot and like behind-the-scenes photos from people's phones, and then they won't even they won't even want to see the real photo shoot because they're like, "Oh, I already saw a video of that. I already saw that on everybody's Instagram." So it's for me, it's better when nobody else is there. That way, I'm not getting that like it's kind of like spoils the surprise when everybody's busting out ten uh you know iPhones behind you and you're trying to like concentrate on making this great concept and behind you there's like ten iPhones and they're all shooting the shit or going live and you're like fuck man you know this isn't gonna be no surprise or nothing new or, or fun for anybody because these guys all blew it.
1: Plus if it removes the the point, right? Is the subject that you're shooting. Yeah. You know and, th- sure you
0: want to be a secret like An artist doesn't want to have his album cover photo shoot leaked before he has his album. Like the whole thing of dropping an album is you drop new music and new artwork and new imagery, you know, for the project and not like, oh, you know, 10 10 people from the crew or whatever was all there, you know, molesting the shit out of the situation and (laughs) ruining the surprise for everybody.
1: Do you find a lot more photographers nowadays are more narcissistic and they forget about why you're doing the photo shoot? Or is that just because what we're exposed and it highlighted?
0: No, I think it's kind of sucks now that before when I first started taking pictures, like I never took pictures with nobody. As far as like the people I was shooting, because people didn't care about that. They're like, why are you taking, why do you want to take a picture with, you know, like, what are you a groupie or whatever? So like, I would never, never do that. And people didn't care. You know, you didn't have to be a brand yourself. You just, your, your photography is what spoke for you. If you were good, that's what spoke, you know, volumes, not how many people you took pictures with. Like, cause I remember like I had friends that, are in the industry now, and they're huge multimillionaires. You know, CEOs and owners of companies, and they would go and take pictures of every celebrity that they ever saw with them. You know, like and I was like, what are they doing? You know, you know, I would be trip out, trip out, like, wow, well, what are they doing? Like, man, that looks weird, like a straight groupie, and then. Now you see their Instagram page and they have all their throw, throwback Thursday or flashback Friday. And uh, you're like, oh, okay, now, now it works, you know? Now, like, nobody cares. But when I was first 10 years of taking pictures, I was just, um, you know, shooting photos and people were seeing my photos and that was, that was the cool thing. Now it seems like if you take pictures with people and you have all that shit on your Instagram, like you're the cool guy and you're like, you know, oh, he's kicking with this guy, that guy, and that guy, so he's a cool guy, like we should fuck with him. But before, it was like, you know, your pictures had to be great. And if they weren't, then you were asked out. There was no mediocre photography being allowed as as far as, uh, you know, being, getting album covers or getting in magazines. And, but now it's like, there's no such thing as magazines, really. People are doing, uh, people are doing, um, you know, their own magazine, which is their IG page, and they're doing all their own shit. They own their their own their own record label, their own everything. is just their IG page.
1: Is your process changing? Because you know, we're in a digital world, and a lot of it was brought up or uh, suggested on the doc. Hey, you know, maybe this might be a time to go digital or, or is your process remaining the same?
0: No, my process is way crazier now because I used to, uh, I had a photo lab. Everything I was shooting was on film, too digital for people that were cheap or, or wanted it, you know, quick, fast and hurry. They wanted like a, what do you call it? They wanted like fast food, you know? Right. Whereas before people had like timelines and schedules and they're like, okay, we need this, all these shoots done in a month, so, um, you know, we, we're going to schedule it this amount of time, but now people call you and go, hey, I'm about to drop my record tomorrow, can we shoot my album cover today, and you just, digit, you know, send me the digital pictures tonight so I could drop my album tomorrow, and you're like, fuck, you know, fuck scheduling shit, you know. And people are like real, real different about that type of shit now where before they seemed like they were more organized and now everybody's just doing shit. I don't, you know, they want it all tomorrow. And uh, the other messed up thing about that is because of the COVID virus, my photo lab that has been in business for 40 years went out of business. They couldn't, they couldn't come back. They couldn't recover from four months of being out of business so there's only one photo lab in LA that does darkroom printing or or development processing and uh I'm gonna have to switch labs and my my guy told called me the other day he was like kind of sad he was like hey man I'm gonna have to shut it down and I was like what he was like, yeah I'm gonna have to shut it down after 40 years I go why like I was ready to do a fucking GoFundMe for him you know like, I think the city should even do something for that and be like, hey, man, tell the landlord, cut the guy a break. You know, we need this. this is L.A., this is Hollywood. This is a land of photography and, and, uh, and films. And We can't let one of the last of the dying breed, you know, go under like that, you know? It's kind of like going in stink. But it is what it is, and uh, what can you do? You just got to find a... Uh, no
1: ways. Since you're sticking to your process, and it's and like you said, it's more difficult. You talked about spray and pray. Isn't that a more difficult process where you just let the amount of hard drive space let you just fucking gun away? Or do you think it's easier for the newer heads?
0: I mean, it, it's easier for them because... Uh... I don't know. Like I like I watch some of the newer heads or I don't know. It's, they, they just are way on a different level. I mean, they, they don't even, they're not even, I'm like, Hey, what about this or that? Like I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, Hey, what about this or that? in the photo, they're like, Oh, I'll just Photoshop that. So it's like, fix it in post. That. Yeah. I'll fix it in post. Like, I'm like, well what about just taking a good picture from the start and then you don't have to fix nothing you know like that's that's where my head is at but they're, they're just like let me shoot a half ass picture I'll photoshop the shit out of it and then uh, you know then it'll be a good picture but my thing is like if you're taking a picture you're capturing a moment of time that second of a moment in time and that—that's what it is, you know, to me. But to the to the new people, it's like, let me capture a moment of time, spend hours on it, and to make it look look good, and then that's what I'm gonna present to the world. What I what what I what I took at that moment of time. But to me, it's kind of weird. It's like it's not really a photograph no more, because the photograph is the is the one is the one second that you click that button. And now it's like you click a button for one second, then you spend, you know, so much time on it in the Photoshop and all the Lightroom and all the other, you know, apps or programs to make it what it is, you know?
1: Marco and I were talking about going to Argentina and collaborating with the guys out there for your doc. What was the need? What? Why Why do you feel you needed to be in Argentina and, and be there? Is it just mainly for post? Or did you want to get the feeling of the folks that the vibe matches? What, what, what was the main reason?
0: Um, I wanted to see it all. I wanted to see who was working on my project. I wanted to see what direction they were going in. I wanted to see what their work process was like and i wanted to see what their where their head was at and like you know what did they know about the culture you know because like to me it's kind of hard to work on something if you don't know nothing about it so um you know i wanted to see like how much these guys knew about hip-hop how much they know about la because you know keep in mind we're in argentina you know we're in a foreign country so how can those people tell the story of us being that they've never even been to LA and they don't, they don't even know who Cypress Hill is, you know? So I kind of just wanted to go down there and just tell them a little bit of the culture, like my point of view and like educate them on backstories of different footage and different people. Like I was showing them Prophets of Rage, you know, Be Real and Chuck D in them. Sure. And, like,
1: and Zach De La Rocha was in that band too, right?
0: No, he was in Rage Against the Machine.
1: Oh, was it Tommy Morello then? Because I know Tom Morello and Zach broke off.
0: No, all of them broke off with Zach. Okay. So I was like, hey, do you know Prophets of Rage? And they're like, no, i never heard of them. And I was like, okay, listen to this song. They're like, cool. Yeah, I like that song. I go, do you know who uh, Rage Against the Machine is? And they go, yeah, I think so. And so I played them Rage Against the Machine. Then I played them Cypress Hill. And then I played them uh, Public Enemy. They never heard of Public Enemy. So I'm like, you know when you're explaining that to somebody, you kind of start second guessing, you know, you're like, man, I'm over here telling these people who public enemy is like, you know, I showed them like Prophets of rage, like, okay, there's B real from Cypress Hill. The whole band is from Rage Against the Machine. And then Chuck D from public enemy. And, you know, and I was showing them, uh, there's a part of the, of the footage where I had um, uh, Flavor, Flav with, Flavor Flav and Sendog were in the club on stage together freestyling with each other. And I was there was a, a part in it where, where that was in the movie. And it was going back from B, uh, Flavor Flav to Sendog, like back and forth freestyling. And I was like, do you know who those guys are? they like, no and I, I was showing them uh, I was showing them who those guys were so that if they're you know they know who because I had to show them who was important to put in the movie and why. I was showing them on raw footage like who was who And I was thinking like man if I was never here they would never know some of these people and who they were and why they should be in the movie you know because uh, that's what shows, how how much stuff we were doing, and how many people we knew, and how many paths we crossed with people, and shit like that. So, I thought that was kind of important to be able to, you know, like for me, it would have been way easier if the editing was here in L.A. because I could have went down there, you know, on a weekly, daily basis, or whatever, and, and been, in, you know, it would have been a lot faster process and like easier because. You know, it's kinda of hard when you're getting like emails and texts and you know, like they would they would email me, text me, and and DM me questions and, and messages. Oh yeah, WhatsApp. So like they are like, Hey, did you see the message I left you? I go, Where? They go, well, I just <laughs> and I go, Yeah, WhatsApp, DM, email, text, which one? Well like, Oh, uh, it was DM. I go, okay, well, let me go check the DM. And it's like, there was like one message for a part of a question there. And the other part of that same question was on the WhatsApp. And it's like confusing as fuck. And the guy's like, hey, man, why aren't you answering me? I was like, if you just send it to me in one fucking place, you know, it'd be a lot easier, you know. But that was because of like the time zones and, and you know, I'm, I'm over here. And, like, there's parts where they're, like, in the editing room, they're like, hey, man, we need these answers. We need these answers. You know, where are you? Where are you? I'm like, well, I was asleep then or, or, you know, I might have been working, you know, crazy concept. I might have been <laughs> doing something that, you know, keeps the fucking lights on. And they're like, You know, they'd be like, hey, well, we need you, you know, to, when we're doing this shit, we need you to be, you know, 100% on point and stuff like that. But I'm like. That's cool, but, you know, you're way over there, I'm way over here, and I'm, I'm in another country, another time zone, and I have shit, too. I'm not just sitting by the phone waiting to see if you guys are going to call me that moment of time, you know? So it was a little bit, you know, rough, and I had to compromise a lot of things that, uh, you know, because, it, it was, because of that, I had to compromise a lot and sometimes i just had to go with you know whatever
1: whatever it was you
0: know but end up in the end of the at the end of it all everything came out good and we were happy and we, you know it, it came out came out pretty good
1: so are you going to be sticking with them for the for the future projects or are you trying to resolute and find something more local oh well, i definitely want to do something
0: more local and the thing with that is, like, people are like, oh, you should do this and do that, and I have this documentary I want to do. You, can you put me on with Netflix and you should, you should do a series and you should do this and you should do that? But I'm like, we only got that one deal, and that was it. So we're back to square one. We're back to the grind. We're back to the hustle. We're back to, you know, being unemployed and, and uh, figuring out the next one now over the COVID virus. They're like, fuck, you know, we got laid off. We don't have a job. We have to go look for a, a job now. I'm like, Shh, I do that shit every day.
1: The life of a freelancer, right? Yeah. Welcome to my world. With blacks, they really embrace like Bruce Lee and Kung Fu. There was a part of where you guys went to Japan. And you know, the Japanese, they they consume other people's culture voraciously without sometimes being self-aware. I don't mean that as a diss, but they're big into psychobilly. Billy. If they're hip hop heads, they're hardcore hip hop heads. Um, yeah. They
0: go all out with everything.
1: Right. But with Asians, especially with Filipinos, like, you know, we didn't, we don't find it offensive if someone tries to put on like a Kung Fu outfit, if you're a black DJ, but was there a sense of like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Were you in tune?s Kind of like, dude, what are they doing to our culture? This better be on some homage shit.
0: Yeah, in the eighties, we, you know, is is when if, I mean, you, they first started like in the late eighties, early nineties. Like by ninety two already, we were selling our uh, streetwear. We had a streetwear brand called Supermax. And like in 1992, we were already selling it to a Japanese distributor. So, um, you know, like my friends, like I was friends of the guys from uh, French Jive and, and me and my homies, sometimes they go, hey, man, can we put, you know, can you guys put on some of these clothes and come out in this Japanese magazine? Or like, yeah, whatever, who gives a fuck? So my friend Sean Mortensen, rest in peace. He would shoot my friend, two of my friends. It's crazy. Like It's like a photo shoot that me, uh, my homie Big Lucky, there was like another one with uh, Jeff Jones, my homie Donnie Charles, they introduced me to in a cartoon, and Sean Mortensen was a photographer, and all three of those guys have passed away. Donnie Charles, Jeff Jones, and Sean Mortensen.
1: Sorry to hear that, bro.
0: Yeah, I mean in the in, in those days we we're like, what the fuck do these fools want our shit for over there, you know? Sure. And um they were coming to buy lowriders and they're like, damn, they're gonna fucking lowride and the, you know, and then you have homies that don't know the difference between Chinese, Japanese, Thai, Vietnamese, Filipino, you know, they're like, Hey, the fucking Chinos are buying up all the lowriders, huh? Right. Like, yeah, these are Japanese. They're like, Yeah, same shit. You know, like they didn't know the difference between you know, places in, in, Asia, you know, and, uh, we're, we're tripping out that it was at that time, it was only Japanese that were buying the lowriders. And, um, I mean, like you said, you know, they, when they do something, they go all out, like to the fullest. And when you see how hard they go, I mean, you got to respect it right off the top. Uh, it's it's the um, you know like they live it to the fullest and they do everything like they've studied it so good it's like perfect and even with low riding like they've done shit to low riding that they've done shit to low riding that we never even thought of doing or or tried to do because they just did it like like almost like a scientific point of view you know they're like okay well wait let's see this They've been doing this for this long. And it seems like you know there's got to be an easier or better way to do it, and they figured that shit out and and they masterminded it. And um, I would just go out there and trip out on on how how uh, they would they would not only embrace a culture, but they would just take it to the next level sometimes too.
1: Like what's like an they, example of that? They took advance. Like is it like with the shocks and the and the car bumping up and down? Like
0: yeah. Like, like I had a homie from Jap- Japan that like when you, when you drive a low rider, you have to charge the batteries. Like I would say maybe if you use a car, like on the weekends, you definitely have to charge it like maybe once or twice a week, depending on, you know, how hard you go. And, um, you know, you, it's, it's a, it was a long process. You'd have to, charge one battery for an hour, take off those cables, put on the next one, put on the next one. So you're charging like eight batteries. So each one was like an hour. So that's eight hours of charging. But then you figure, you know, you got to take like 10, 20 minutes going back and forth from your pad to your garage and doing all that shit. So it was like a fucking, you know, at least a 10 hour thing to just charge your batteries to go to take it out, you know, for a couple hours and hit the switches. So this homie I knew, uh, his name is Oishi. He figured out how to how to to charge it while you drive, which was you know like some some scientific type shit. Because <laughs> it sounds it sounds easy. Like, yeah, well I mean you charge your whole car up of one one battery every time you drive and it, it charges. But you know, well, yeah, why wouldn't you be able to do that? But it's like. You're charging eight batteries off of off of one running the engine. Or some I don't know how the fuck he figured out, but he did. It was it was like you know it was like game changing.
1: What was the healing process like for you working again with with Dunes with Mark? How, how did that start?
0: Um, what do you mean?
1: Because uh, it was kind of like uh, impressed upon the audience that there was a little bit of time off between you and Mark? we, we Oh, we, yeah. We tunes, and then how did that friendship restart or rejuvenate again?
0: Oh, it's just like, you know, like we worked in the same building, but, you know, there's times where, you know, you get like, you have disagreements and you just don't talk. But, like, I mean, every day I would still go in and go, hey, what's up, homie? And, you know, hey, what's up? You know, but, you know, but we, we, we're in the same we're in the same building just on – like, he had the second floor, I had the third floor. I would go in every day and just be like, hey, what's up, homie, how you guys doing there? All right, what's up? And then I'd go and do my work, and, that's, you know, I would stay there uh, the rest of the day. And then uh, at night, I'd go go down. All right, I'm jamming, see you guys later. All right, cool. But it was never like, hey, fuck you, motherfucker. You know, it's just <laughs> more like you needed space and time. And, you know, some somebody would their feelings hurt about something and you know you, you just have to take like a break you know but uh, you know never like uh, you know uh, I'm never talking to you again or it wasn't like anybody did anything scandalous to anybody you know it's just like you come to a disagreement or you get you get in your feelings and just keep you know just be like yeah hey, I'm gonna take a break from this person but if you're in the same building, you still got to see him every day. So you still got to be cordial and you, you know, you don't want it to ever be like the type of thing where it escalates and you're like, you know, you're like, man, well, fuck it then, you know, but, um, I mean, it's always like, if you know somebody good enough and you're, you've been down with somebody good enough, then. You know, it should never be that serious to where you should stop talking hundred percent, you know? Unless they did some scandalous shit like, you know, stole some, you know, hundred Gs off you and or burned you or fucked your old lady behind your back or some shit like that, but if it ain't none of that, then it ain't it ain't uh, worth cutting off completely.
1: Did you kind of feel like oh this is just temporary? we're going to link up in the future or was it did you have to let it organically flow into communicating again yeah a little bit of both like oh you know this person's mad or this person's bad you know just
0: give them time to cool off or let them think about you know their what they're what they think is an issue or not and then you just go with that but i've had friends that i know for you know 10 15 you know 20 years that one day they just do one thing or or they think you did something to them and they never talk to you again and you're like, damn homie, like I did all this and that with you and did all this and that for you and you're just gonna, you know, cut it off for, for what what was it again? You're like, all right. Like I had a homie that I was just helping and helping and helping. His his uh his mom died and his stepdad burned him. From the money that he was gonna get from his his mom. And so he was like freaking out. He couldn't work. He was a veteran. Uh, he had uh MS, so he couldn't work, and he was just struggling. And I let him live in my pad, he had these two dogs, German shepherds, not little poodles, so they're two big ass dogs fucking (laughs) running around, shitting everywhere, barking and shit. And I'd tell him, Hey, help me like you know, can you keep your dogs, you know, content a little bit? Like, they're just fucking wild and shit. Like, yeah, man, you know, what do you want me to do? I'm like, well, do something with them or fucking get rid of them, you know? Like, give them to the canine, you know, people that that are service people, you know? Those are my dogs, those are my life, blah, blah, was like, well, then handle it, you know? Fucking get control over them. Don't let them control you, control them, you know? And, uh, you know, they, they kind of, like, fucked up at the pad, the dogs, and they're all, you know, big-ass animals and shit. And then uh, there came a time where he wanted to, to move out, so I, I got him a, a trailer, you know, one of those motorhomes. And uh, I go, all right, homie, here's your new pad. And he moved it to another place, somebody else's property, you know, this whole time he's thinking he's getting his money from his mom passing away and the motorhome burned down one day when he went to, he went somewhere with his dogs, burned down to the ground like completely melted, just the frame was there I was like, he was calling me up just, you know, super upset he's like, hey man my, my thing burned down, my motorhome burned down and I was like, okay you know, so now what, he's like, well I don't know what to do I was like, well you need a it was during all those fires, you know the big fires. I was like, "Well, you need to go to a shelter and you know handle handle that shit." And one more time, he's like, "But I don't have no money and blah blah." So I was like, "Well, you know what? Let me uh, you know, I'll loan you some money." But uh, you know, you gotta get it together, brother. You're the same age as me, and we've been friends since teenagers, you know. So from like fifteen to fifteen. And uh, it came to a point where I was like, he was like, hey, I got the money from this accident. I'm going to bring you, by the money. And I go, okay, cool. How much? He goes, I'll, I'll come by, I'll bring you 5G. And I go, all right, cool. And uh, he goes, you know what? He goes, oh, I can't come by there, but you can come by here tomorrow, and uh, and I'll pay you. Like, okay, cool. I went to the hotel where he was staying. And he wasn't there. He checked out two days before. So I was like, man, this motherfucker, like,
1: we, we're not, like, new friends. We're old friends, you know? Right.
0: For 35 years. Wait, 35? 45 years. Wait, no, 35.
1: 15 to 50, and, uh, 35,
0: yeah. Yeah, 35 years. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we hadn't been through some shit. But after that, I was just like, you know what, man? I'm, I'm done, you know? I'm cutting this wool off, so I just texted him, hey, homie, you know, I hope you, you know, have a good time with that 5G. You know, just, just, uh, you know, consider that you're buying yourself out of our friendship with that money. But, and I hope it, I hope you do, do the right thing with it because, you know, that's it. It's over, the it's wrap. And I wasn't like, you know, I'm not going to fuck him up. Because that was, you know, he, he's damn near crippled already, you know. He's got MS and shit. So I wouldn't get no points out of that. I wasn't going to get my money back. And it wasn't like, you know, going to be like some type of fight or anything. So I just said, fuck it, you know. I'll let the motherfucker go. So because does uh, something good with that 5G but I have a feeling
1: he uh, went and got a bag and that was it. And got lit for a little bit.
0: Yeah. Got
1: his freak on. In your brain, do you automatically think like, you know what? I bought myself freedom from this pain?
0: Yeah. And then I've had my mom uh, pass away and I've had good friends pass away, family members pass away and I feel like if you can go through those through life without those people anymore and those people were just as important to you or more important to you than the person that you have an issue with then why wouldn't you be able to go through your life and keep living without this person you know so in my head I was thinking man I lost some good homies I lost my mom and and I'm living without them just fine
1: sorry to hear about your mom bro
0: cool, I can live without these
1: fools, uh, with no problem either, you know? Thank you. Yeah, I just lost my dad three years ago, so I'm I'm in that club too. So I, I know definitely when you say that, it's like, okay, I get it. I get yeah. it. It, it. In a sense, do you feel... Not that you lived a hard, hard life, but it definitely wasn't easy. You know what I mean? Dealing with that yeah. situation with your friend for 35 years... Was it harder to let go, or was it easier because it hit like that point, that pinnacle, where it's like, "Fuck this, I'm, I'm done. It's a wrap. It's a wrap."
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard because you feel bad for the person, you know. You're like, "Fuck," but you're at the same time, you're like, "Man, I'm the only one. I'm helping him more than he's helping himself." You know, like, how much, how long am I supposed to do this for? And then, like, people are like, "Damn, man, you really helped that fool a lot." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah that, pole, like, what am I doing? You know, like, I'm over here, you know, breaking my back, bending over backwards, and trying to help a motherfucker get his shit together. You don't want to, he's not doing half of that, so fuck it, you know. At a certain point, you just gotta let him go, you
1: know. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, man. And, you know, moving forward, working on the project, did you learn anything new about? being a director because now since you're such so involved in post like you were in Argentina does your vision change as a director with video now as you become this next level storyteller um
0: yeah it's definitely 10 times more work than you could ever imagine right getting everything when you have 20 years of footage or 25 years of footage and you have all these people that were in the movie, and there's like people that you want to get, you know, new footage of, like to do like an interview, and like, but you don't really talk to them as much anymore. You don't really, you're not in that same circle. You have to go back to all those. There's like things like where you have to think, like, man, how do I call these people? Like, I haven't talked to them in 10 years and just be like, hey, some shit like that like you always have that in your head like man I'm not I'm not trying to you know but then you think like
1: don't realize you interview someone if it takes them a while to sign the I, waiver or it doesn't you can't use that the music of choice that you think that worked well for yeah. the scene you got to get licensing you know it, it, it's so much
0: yeah. yeah like if you're filming somebody and they're playing a little music in the background but you're just like hanging out Then, like you know 25 years later like all oh, this is that time we were kicking in and hanging out just don't put it and then you're like Oh fuck! They're playing that song in the background, and then you gotta like try to get that song clear. It's just like it's crazy. And then if somebody's passed away, and you need their release, like you gotta go to the family. And we had to like take little clips for maybe like ten people, and show them footage of their their loved one that passed away, and be like, hey, uh, like Guru, we had a you know
1: send picture
0: uh, footage of his family, and you know be like, hey, it's a cool we. You know, we had to go through Premiere, and we were like, Hey, Premiere, we want to use you and in a in, in guru in, the, in our documentary. You know, he was like, yeah, I can put you in touch with the, with the family. You know, can you shoot me over the, some, you know, the scene or some of the footage so I can show it to them? And I was like, yeah. So we had to do that like 10 times with people that have passed away in the movie that are in the movie, and we had to get clearance from their family just so that, you know, they couldn't come back and fight us in the ass later on.
1: There's a yeah. little part on the doc where Brian Grazer goes, oh, we can shoot it right now. And I knew, like, no, 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 we're not going to shoot this right now. We need to set you up. We need to light you. You need to sign the waivers. Like, maybe that's a little inside thing that you guys threw to the audience. Like, when Brian Grazer says, we can shoot this right now, like, standing up, it's like, no, it doesn't work that way, Brian. And
0: we're at his house, too, you know? Right. So like, I mean, a guy on that level able to take his time to do some shit with us and, Yeah, he's taking his time out of his day. He's got a million projects going on, huge ones. And he's taking, like, time out of his day to work on your project. And you're like, you know, you kind of have, like, a vision of what you want to do, like, and set up and stuff. He's like, no, let's just do it right now, right here. You know, you got to kind of, like, stand up and be like, oh, no, you know, we got to do it like this. And and when you're dealing with someone on that level, then you know, you got to come at it in a real specific, you know, respectful you know the right way, because you don't want to
1: throw off the mood at all. You know. Hey Stefan, do you think there's been a mental mentality change between newer gangsters now? Because you know, oh I'm yeah, forty, for sure. I, I'm forty five now. I'm disconnected from all the Asian gangs. You know, I'm I'm trying to be healthy and climb up two sets of steps. You know, that's what I'm concerned about now. What's changed?
0: Yeah, yeah well it's just different now like you don't know who's who like I people show me like this little rappers, and they're like yeah he's from this or uh, that and I look at the dude and he's wearing like skinny jeans and like a pink shirt and <laughs> has a crazy hairdo and and he's all sleep down and he's they say like yeah this fool's going away for two murders I'm like "Ooh, like him I go Wait, he got murdered and they go no he did him." and i was like what the hell <laughs> so like you, you like back in the day like everybody had a uniform you know that like you knew who was gang if you're from l.a in l.a you knew who was a gangster and you just would watch you would another thing is too you'd go by what was on the walls you know you'd be like driving through l.a and okay there's that there's that i'm in this hood i'm in that hood and you'd be you know there's hardly any graffiti left anymore and you don't know what the guys look like. So, you know, you can get caught slipping like kind of easier now, you know?
1: Yeah, and the the gangsters, they have like 200K followers on Instagram.
0: Yeah, pull up, drop your pin and all this weird shit.
1: And and a lot of people don't realize uh, for, for the youngsters, you know, there was a separation in dress code back then. It, gangsters were wearing parkas, even though it's like 77 degrees. The, the, the people who listen to K-Rock were in fucking slippers, board shorts, and, and body yeah. glove t-shirts when it's like 55 degrees, you
0: know? Yeah, like a uh, hangton tank top.
1: For sure. All, the, all those stores like Miller's Outpost, fucking Oak Tree, Old yeah. school stuff, man.
0: Yeah, there was swap meets. Now, now, like, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the swap meets have closed down, and it's that's a trip, you know? That was, like, where the hood shopped, you know? Everybody owns a clothing brand. Like, like I don't know, like, I don't know who doesn't own a clothing brand no more. I'm like, man, I want to find somebody that doesn't have their own streetwear brand. Right. There's, everybody's putting out a t-shirt company and hats the masks the phone cases the like everybody's doing it I mean there's there there's money for everybody just not so much anymore because so many people are doing it
1: since you were you're a mixed child even though you look like a really really tall fucking cholo bro did you ever feel that being mixed growing up and like a setting of confusion
0: uh yeah because you know my back then people were racist you know so my mom uh my name was I was born as Esteban Heriberto Oriol. and my mom in in school changed my name to Steve because I was a fucked up kid I was hyperactive they wanted to put me on this drug called Ritalin and and I was just a wild you know I was bouncing off the walls, and I was not very good with authority, and, uh, you know, I was, I was getting moved, moved from school to school, and my mom was, like, you know, she thought I was being, like, uh, picked on, or, like, because, you know, my, it was, like, a racial thing, and uh, she changed my name to Steve at school, so that people would, uh, you know, not go so hard on me, you know, but I think it was mostly me, you know, the way I was the way I was acting, you know, I was fucking wild They could have handled it. So I mean some of it had to do with that and some of it had to do with I was just off the bouncing off the wall, you know? Like I used to get kicked out of class every single day. The, like right when the bell rang the guy go, Oreo get outside like right? So <laughs> beeping. Or he will get outside like as soon as i he'd take the role he'd tell me to go outside and and i would and he would I'd sit outside the door and he would bring my my paperwork my my stuff right to me, and I'd just be sitting outside doing my homework on the on the sitting on the pavement and then my the vice principal got to the point where he was like they called my mom in and told her that that they were gonna have to start charging me for the referrals that I was getting to go to the office, it was like nine cents or something like that because they I was wasting their their paper. And she was like, I are you kidding? Like I never even heard of anything like that. Like what's wrong with you guys? Like I got in fist fights with three of my teachers in uh in school, like with full blown men. You know, they 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 like attacked me, you know. Like, I didn't like go up and punch them in the face and them like that, but they ended up, you know, chasing me or teeing off on me. And then I would, you know, of course I would fight back. But nowadays, if you did that, man, I mean, you've seen what kids are doing in school now. They're just bombing on the teacher, like, sucker punching them in class and shit like that. And, and, and there, and the teachers are getting in trouble for fighting back. But, uh, like, I got in. Like, one time two teachers jumped me, their PE teachers, because they thought I was doing something that wasn't even me. It was another kid, and they started running after me, and and when they caught up to me, it was just a fight, you know? And I was like, man, this is crazy. Like, I'm fighting two grown-ass men, and not even just regular old men. These are, like, my teachers. And, and, I, and I got in trouble for it. I'm the one that went to the office. I'm the one that the... You so know, they were like, hey, man, you know, he was doing this, this, and that to the principal or whatever. And they're like, okay, you know, you're suspended from school. But now there'd be, like, protests outside the school. Or, you know, it'd be wild. We wouldn't, we wouldn't get away with that shit now.
1: Yeah, and were you of age and height already when those teachers were trying to fuck you up? In,
0: no, I was of height, but I was like... 13, 14, 15 years old.
1: Yeah, there, there's a timidity behind that because they're your teachers, you know? You're, you're still timid in reaction. Sure. Different times, definitely. This audio was way better, by the way, boss. This is oh, awesome. This one? Yeah, this one's way better. Um, oh, this is a speakerphone.
0: So go ahead. What was the, you had another question you said?
1: Like with Filipinos, like like Joe Coy, it's like there's always like a level of importance for Filipinos to like, was this more just creative or was there any racial and ethnic importance behind doing LA originals? And I'll close with that. Um, yeah,
0: of course there was, you know, the, we, we wanted to be a represent for our people, you know, for the Chicanos and all that. But at the same time, we were so broad in, in our, in our work, like with, with our, with all the work that we've done, as far as me, cartoon and Cypress Hill and the soul assassins, we're much broader than than just you know one type of culture you know we we, we went worldwide with all of our uh camera our,
1: switch uh, by the way there you go yeah.
0: we went worldwide with all of our different types of art form from you know cartoons drawing and muraling and tattooing to the music of the homies to my photography and video you know all around the world and us touring everywhere like you know, it, there's a way bigger picture for, uh, we just wanted to show, you know, what where we've been and what we've done in the culture outside of just LA and outside of just our community and our, our culture, and our race, you know, a lot, a lot bigger than just that, you know.
1: So we're, would, will people be able to find all your projects and support all your projects at Esteban Oreo or any other? Yeah, yeah
0: Esteban um on Instagram. I'm, I'm the most active. And then I have my website going too. So, you know, I have a little bit of uh, stuff on there, but the most updated information is definitely Instagram.
1: We speak a lot of same language and uh, I admire you, man, and we'll be in touch. Okay, thank you. Thank you, brother. Take care All right. See you later. See you, bro.
0: Asian Unfiltered on Apple Podcasts and iTunes.